0: Hello and welcome to What's The Story. We're an inquisitive bunch of hosts from the What's The Story team on a mission to uncover stories about faith and courage from everyday people. And to help us do just that, we get the privilege to chat with amazing guests and delve into their faith journey, the hurdles they've overcome and the life lessons they have learned along the way. Now, if you enjoy our podcast, don't forget to subscribe and sign up for our newsletter on our website, which is whatsthestorypodcast.com. It's your direct line to the latest episodes and detailed show notes, and they all get delivered straight to your inbox. And the best part, it's absolutely free. What's the Story is brought to you by Crowd Church. We understand that stepping into a traditional church might not be every come And that's where CrowdChurch steps in, providing a digital sanctuary, a safe space to explore the Christian faith where you can engage in meaningful conversations rather than just simply spectating. So whether you are new to the Christian faith or are in search of a new church family, we invite you to visit us at www.crowd.church and if you've got any questions, just drop us an email at hello at crowd.church we're here to help and would genuinely love to connect with you and now without further ado let's meet your host and our very special guest
1: What's the story? My name is Sada Feynman, and beside me is the lovely Anne Prime, who you, dear listener, are going to have the privilege of getting to know today. Welcome to What's the Story Anne. It's great to have you. How are you today? Thank you, Sada. It's great to be here and I'm I'm doing I'm doing great. Thank you. Um, so Anne and I know each other from years ago, all the way back in Pakistan, I believe. Um, and you said it was I was in grade ten at the time when you first went out to Pakistan. I think so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, I want to know. I want to know what what um, took you to Pakistan. I want to know how you became a Christian, because um, I don't know much about your your story of your of your Christian faith. So tell us. Uh, well,
2: I was, uh, I was born in Alabama in the USA, and, um, I was born into a, a Christian family. Um, I can remember, I mean, some of my earliest memories were going to church with my grandparents and, uh, my parents. And, um, but honestly, it wasn't until I was 17 that I was working at a summer camp. And I really had an experience of um, of understanding the grace of Christ in a way I'd never seen it before. And seeing it lived out in other people's lives, seeing um, that faith in Christ was a personal thing. Um, I just had never, I had always believed in God. I can remember even as a child, um, just conversations with God. And um, always knowing He was near and cared about me, but it wasn't until I s- feel like, I guess this is the way I- of saying it, that I met Jesus face-to-face that summer. And mm. um, that was what I see really as um, kind of stepping out in
1: faith as a follower of Christ,
2: mm-hmm. even though I'd always been a believer.
1: So. Making that personal decision to yeah. follow Him. Mm. Yeah. And this was a Christian camp from, from church? Um, I was
2: introduced to it through my, the church I was at. I was in a, a Reformed Presbyterian church in Alabama, and we had a conference center in North Carolina, which I had worked at for a, for a couple of summers. But this particular summer, I worked at a camp there called Camp Joy, which was a camp for people with um, physical and intellectual disabilities.
1: Mm. So. Great. That's great. So then um, what, so that you were 17 when you came to know the Lord as your personal Savior. Um, So what happened after that? Oh, well, after that,
2: that summer, actually, I made a bold uh, promise to Christ. I'll go home to my little small town in my high school, and I'm going to be a witness. I'm going (laughs) to going to share my faith. And uh and so I went back home from that amazing summer and uh immediately was given opportunities to do that and was um pretty nervous and scared about it, but at the same time there was this boldness that new faith can can bring. And um I remember I spent a weekend with a friend um, a girl who was about to go away for um, for school, to a boarding school, and um, she and I spent the weekend at the lake with her parents. They had a home there. We were out on the river one day, or the lake, and um, we witnessed a tragic, tragic uh, drowning. Mm-hmm. And I can remember that night back at her house just sitting together and crying and asking all the questions, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and even though both of us had grown up in church, um, we had never had a conversation about, uh, God, about life after death, about Jesus. And, uh, but that night we did and, um, and I was able to share with her and she prayed and asked God to, to save her and, uh, to give her new life in Christ and, and that was an incredible experience for me. I would never really shared my faith in Jesus with someone in that way and never seen, never, never, been a part of that kind of experience. Mm-hmm. And it was powerful. And um, the, next, the next week when school started, I actually had an opportunity. Another friend who had been elected, we had the Student Government Association at our school, and a friend of mine had been elected as the chaplain mm-hmm. for the coming year, our senior year. And she, uh, also moved away. And so that role of chaplain in our student government association had opened up and a teacher encouraged me to, to run. Well, I did, but no one else ran for the, it was just me, but they still had me get up and give a speech. And I just knew that that speech was my opportunity to share what God Mm -hmm. had done in my life. And, uh, And I did in fear and trepidation, (laughs) but I, it's amazing sort of to look back on that because before that I was a small school, uh, kindergarten through 12th grade, only about maybe 400 people total. Um, but after that experience of being vulnerable and sharing my story, um, that opened up opportunities to know people in my school that I'd never known Mm -hmm. before. Um, to have conversations to to feel not only like seen and known but to see and know other people in a new way mm-hmm. um it was incredible it was in my incredible. senior year it was um just a complete turnaround from everything i had lived before mm-hmm. it was amazing
1: that is. That is really inspiring. And I love how you made such a bold promise to the Lord and how he honored that and gave you those spaces to be able to, to share about him and a, your story with others and the fact that you could lead your friend to Jesus. It's, it's incredible. It was
2: quite incredible.
3: Mm.
1: Thank you for sharing that. Sure. So then um, what happened after high school? Where did you go?
2: After high school, I went to a school in South Carolina, a small um, university that was part or college that was part of the Reformed Presbyterian Church, the Erskine College, in a small town called Dew West, South Carolina. Um, And I spent my four years there, um, majored in Christian education and minored in special education. And um, yeah, it was, uh, again, another experience of just... uh, God's grace in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Relationships built there, the education I I got there, Mm -hmm. Um, and the way that experience led to the next thing, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. And um, so that was, I'm guessing, two-year program, four-year program? It was a
2: four-year program, four-year college, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Great. And then, um, so where did the Lord take you after that?
2: (laughs) So during my time at Erskine, I had the opportunity to go on several uh, short-term mission trips um, to Mexico, too, actually. And through that, made relationships with um, people at an organization called World Witness, which, again, was part of the Reformed Presbyterian Church. Um, And when I graduated from Erskine, my first year, I worked um, at a small um, home for girls, um, as a, a teacher. And, um, while I was working there, I was approached by, um, the director of Oral witness who I had gone on these trips with
3: mm-hmm.
2: about an opportunity in Pakistan. And, um, they were wanting to start a program there for students who had learning differences mm-hmm. and, um, and I guess you'd say recruited me. They knew that I had an interest in special education and offered to train me to do this educational therapy. Um, And I just, I knew that my desire, I didn't know if this was what, you know, God was leading me to, so to speak, but I knew my deep desire um, was to um, step out of my comfort and do something, um, different. I, mm-hmm. I, foreign missions or being, um, you know, in, in a different environment really appealed to me.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And, um, so I, I said yes. And I don't know that my reasons for saying yes were, um, noble in any way. They were more like adventure driven. I'm pretty sure at the time. <laughs> um, but I said yes, and that led to uh, being trained to do this educational therapy with the National Institute for Learning Disabilities, it was called at the time. Um, and to do that, I went to Virginia for a year and interned at a school there. Um, and I can remember a very, um, um, this was kind of a pivotal moment of me seeing noticing that this was God moving me out into a new place. I was part of a group at the church. I was going to a group of singles who we went on a retreat. And one of the questions that weekend to the group was, if God asked you to do anything, one thing that you would say, what is the one thing that if God asked you to do it, you would say no. And he went around the whole uh, circle And most everyone's answer was something like, leave home, like Mm -hmm. move away from where my family lives, leave Virginia, leave something of that kind. And when it got to me, I I just, at that time in my life, the one thing that if God wanted me to do it, I would probably, I'd have a hard time saying yes to, was moving back to the small town I grew Mm -hmm. up in. Um, so it was like my, what I was feeling was completely opposite mm-hmm. to all these other young people, my age. And so I thought, well, maybe, maybe there is something too. you know, maybe this isn't just me seeking adventure. Mm. I think maybe this is really God, you know,
1: leading me yeah, in this direction. desire in your heart. Yeah. 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 And actually what you said, um, at the, towards the beginning, when you were talking about the camp you were at and you made this bold promise that you wanted to go and witness um, you know to others about the Lord, and he's like listening to you talk I can see I can see that um, the Lord opening up doors for you. my question I wanted to ask um, so when you were in university, when you were doing your um, Christian education um, course and um, the learn sorry I, I missed uh, what was the other half of that? It was a Christian ed, and <laughs> Christian education and then uh, special education. Special education, which, that's yeah, right. Yeah. And so in that time, I know you went to do some missions trips in Mexico, but did you, were you um, still thinking about what your future was going to look like, whether it was going to be more about witnessing or was it just, yeah, tell, tell me a bit more about that.
2: <clears throat> so during my time at, at Erskine, I, every summer I went back to that same camp. Um, I, I worked at that camp for probably eight years, um, every summer at some point in my time at Erskine, I realized I really wanted to study education and to work with people who have different, different learning styles and needs. And, um, but Erskine did not have a, a major in that at the time they were not offering that degree. And, um, and I didn't want to or feel the need to move on to another school, so mm-hmm. that's why I chose to minor in it. But it just—it was always an interest of mine, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, just, yeah. yeah.
1: So, cool. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were then—you um, went to Virginia,
2: yes—to
1: yes. get more training, yes. And then um, did you did you end up in, did you go to Pakistan? Right away after that, or was there still was there more um, was there more that the Lord took you through before He planted you in, in Pakistan? Um, there was. It was pretty much directly
2: from there. When I, um, I guess it was the summer of ninety two. I did some orientation for working, um, you know, in, in a boarding school in a mm-hmm. K school. And then I did the training for um, working with the Discovery Program. And then I had the internship in Virginia. And that was kind of while I was waiting for my visa mm. to come through. And I finished teaching in Virginia uh, early summer of 93 and went to Pakistan in August. Or I think it was August of 93. '93. <clears throat> yeah.
1: That's so
2: that was, yeah, that was... Uh, it, Yeah, it was wonderful. Mm
1: -hmm. And it changed your life, didn't it? It did in (laughs) so many
2: ways.
1: (laughs) All right. Tell us about that.
2: Well, I went, uh, yes, I went to Pakistan in the summer of 93 uh, to be, to work, help, help, not to start it, but to help start the discovery program, which had already been started there and um, got to be a part of that. I had... um, I believe I had six students and my first year that that's what I did. I spent time, you know, building relationships with uh, the other staff and my students and teaching and getting involved on campus. And it was an amazing, uh, community to be a part of. I've never experienced anything like it and never have since. Um, just incredible, um, made up of people from all over the world and, uh, just a beautiful, beautiful picture of what the bride of Christ is. Mm-hmm. Um, my second year there, I was asked to be uh, also be a boarding parent for seventh grade girls, and so I moved into one of the dorms and had my seven seventh grade girls, and um, and was teaching still, and it was uh, an amazing year.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I- in between all that, the summer—I guess it was my second year there um, I met Mike Prime. Uh, Mike had, his parents worked at the school and he had actually graduated from MCS. Uh, years later when he would tell this story that we met at MCS, he always liked to leave out the part that, um, <laughs> that he graduated before i even came he liked to make it sound a little bit scandalous but uh, <laughs> but he had graduated and gone back to canada and uh, <laughs> he was out visiting his parents and working in pakistan for the summer and to come mm-hmm. up to the school and we we met one day um, i was leaving the campus with uh, another teacher and she had had a flat tire so we were about to get all the the paraphernalia out to change her tire, yeah. and Mike and a friend of his came walking up, and I uh, said, "Oh, we'll, we'll change that tire for you." And I remember he said, uh, walked over to me and said, "I'm I'm Mike Prime, by the way," <laughs> and that was uh, that was it. That was- oh,
1: that's that's lovely. I do remember. I remember you being around, and I remember Mike being around, having come back as well. Um, I didn't know all of this was going on (laughs) until it happened. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I want to echo what you said about MCS. It really was a very special place. And um, I haven't experienced anything like it ever since as well. I would have to agree with you. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, you and Mike then. Yes, we are. We met
2: that summer, uh, so summer of 94. Uh, we spent very little time together. We would run into each other around campus and just chat for a minute. And, uh, somewhere toward the end of the summer, he was back on campus and he asked me, have you ever been to visit in a village? And, uh, and I, I had been when I had visited, um, friends in the south i'd mm-hmm. gone to some villages but i'd never actually been to one in murray like to anyone's home mm-hmm. um and mike had relationships with a lot of the men who worked on campus the maintenance workers and mm-hmm. uh, guys families he would go to their homes and um, so he invited me to go and so one evening mike and uh, two other friends of his and and i went Hike down the, the mountain onto yeah. the mountainside to go to someone's home. And we had tea, which then turned into dinner. And um, it was an amazing, <laughs> yes, as it does, <laughs> a wonderful evening. Yeah. And it, it actually ended up being the first day of the monsoon. Mm. And so the rain started and we, we knew we needed to leave. And we ended up hiking back up the mountain in the pouring rain. And uh, it, it was, you know, it was an amazing experience. Um, So when we got back to campus, we actually drove into Murray and um, went to where his parents were staying at the time and visited with them and then ended up visiting with each other till like three in the morning, just getting to know each other. And uh, then the next day he went back to Canada and (laughs) back to school. Yeah, the very next day. So oh, that was nice. (laughs) Um, You know, and I, I didn't know. I thought he was a great person, but I didn't know if I'd ever, you know, see him again. Mm -hmm. Um, A month later, however, I had a postcard in the mail from Mike and on it, he had put uh, his return address, which you don't usually put those on postcards, you know, but he had. (laughs) And so, uh, so I wrote him back and, um, and we ended up writing letters, you know, and that was email was a new thing Mm -hmm. at the time. Uh, but we didn't personally have email, you, you know, the school had it and probably his school had it, but, uh, so we wrote letters and every two weeks I'd get a letter and send one back. Oh, love and, it. Um, we did that for eight months hmm. and then he came back to Pakistan and, um, that was the summer of 95 and it was coming up to the end of my two year commitment at MCS, um, and that summer we got engaged. So. so he came
1: back for you that that second time? No,
2: again? no. He had, he came back with two friends. Okay, uh, they, uh, they came to work in the South with some missionaries there. Okay. He had come back to do that um, every, I think every year after he graduated from okay. NCS, he came back and did that. So no, not just for me. <laughs> Although, if I oh, may, I'll great. tell the, I'll tell this little story of our engagement. It, it was it's funny, and I don't think many people know it. But um, when he came back, poor college student that he was, he wanted to bring me some <laughs> kind of little gift, but he didn't really have money, and he didn't know what it would bring. And he was visiting with his brother before the trip, and they went hiking. And as they're hiking along the trail, he um, he kicked something on the trail and looked down and. And there was something shiny so he'd been down and pick it up and it was this little dainty pretty little gold ring and he thought well i'll just give her that a sign. <laughs> <laughs> well i don't know that he really thought about it that way at the time but um he cleaned it up and he brought it out and and um so in the evenings we would visit in the staff lounge mm-hmm. uh, the girls would go to bed and i'd go down to the staff lounge and we'd sit and visit and as often happened in Pakistan, the power went out one night while we're sitting there visiting. We're in the pitch dark. We had no candles or anything. And um, the night before we had talked about, you know, our understanding of dating and, and what do we see that as at our ages or whatever. And, um, you know, to me, you at the time I thought, well, you date in order to know if this is a person that you
3: mm-hmm.
2: should marry. Um, it's a time of discerning and, um, and we came to that agreement and decided, okay, well, we're dating. And so this is the next night. He's just given me the little ring He said, you know, I wanted to give you this gift and told me the story and we thought it was funny and, <clears throat> and the power goes out. And he said, um, so, you know what we talked about last night? Yes. What do you think? I'm sorry. <laughs> what do you think? And I knew what he meant, mm-hmm. but I sitting there in the dark, I'm like, no, he's going to need to really ask
3: this question. <laughs>
2: well, more effort, please. Yeah, <laughs> And so I said, I don't, what do you mean? And he finally said, will you marry me? And I, I, I was shocked that it came so soon, Yeah, but I also knew, you know, mm. and, uh, so I said, yes. And he reached over of course, we're in the dark. He reached over and took my hand mm. and he took it and put it on his mouth so I could feel how big he was smiling because we couldn't <laughs> see each other.
1: And I just uh, oh, thought, so always, sweet. yeah, that that's was a really fun, sweet.
2: fun story that we um, really enjoy. So,
1: yeah. Thank <laughs> you for sharing that. It is a fun story. <laughs> um, so you got engaged and, yes. um, and then, how long were you engaged? And were you in Pakistan for that engagement time? Or did you move back? What happened?
2: For uh, yeah, for some of it, um, we, my time was up in August, and I believe, um, you know, we did announce our engagement while we were there, so we got mm-hmm. to enjoy that time with friends and family there. One of the other um, staff members at the school made my wedding dress, which was incredible. Um, We were thrown a a big uh, Mindy party by friends there. It was beautiful. Um, And then went back, I went back to uh, Alabama where my family was, and Mike went back to British Columbia where he was in school. Mm -hmm. And it was five months from when we came back to when we got married in December of 95.
1: Amazing. And you got married in Alabama? In Alabama,
2: yeah. In Alabama, and friends from uh, Pakistan and from Canada, and of course from the states, mm. uh, were there for our wedding, and it was it was an incredible, beautiful, wonderful time.
1: Mm-hmm. So, and I know that um, you've you had um, I know you you had wonderful years with Mike, but tell us more about your marriage and about. Mike falling ill? Uh, So we married
2: in 95 and we spent our first year in British Columbia. And for various reasons, we um, chose to move to the States and we ended up in Columbia, South Carolina. Mike was going to finish school at a Bible college here, um, Columbia International University. And he also worked full-time at the university, so that took some years. Mm -hmm. But we really settled into life here, and our daughter, Eden, was born um, in Columbia. And um, we lived here. I say here because I'm back here. um, We lived here for about nine years before moving to Alabama, which... Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when I made that, um, I left Alabama at 18, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: um, my hometown to go to college and it was 18 years later that we moved back there. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was the right time. It Mm -hmm. was the right time, uh, for lots of reasons. We lived there for 12 years Mm -hmm. and it's interesting sort of one of the big lessons that I have learned over time Mm -hmm. uh, or am learning, I should say, I don't know that I'll ever completely learn it, but I'm learning is that, um, our, our journey, uh, of following Jesus is a lot less about those big adventures that I know I was seeking when I was young. Mm -hmm. And it's more about right now, this moment today and how I'm living it. Mm -hmm. And I think our years in Alabama, um, we're the beginning of that
1: that lesson and that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So if you don't mind, why tell me I I want to uncover a bit more about why why you say that. What happened that made you feel like you learned that lesson?
2: <laughs> or started learning it, yeah. <laughs> um I I believe so the choice when we started to build a family and when our daughter was born, we made the decision, um, that I, I wanted to stay at home Mm -hmm. and, um, that, you know, that meant lifestyle choices, um, Mm -hmm. that were limiting in some ways, Mm uh, financially really the the only way, Mm -hmm. um, things that we had to choose to give up. Um, but they were certainly, worth it we never felt that they weren't but that honestly was the beginning of learning that lesson of um you know it's being um totally present in the moment for the people that you're in life with is more important than anything else um There are things that we can aspire to. There are things that can draw our attention and our mind away from the present moment. And we can put, and I say we, but I know that this is true of me, Mm -hmm. that I can put my energies into things I might want in the future or things Mm -hmm. I might uh, regret from the past. Mm -hmm. But all of that pulls me away from being truly, really present right here in the Mm -hmm. future. And you know, this past three years has been um, a big lesson in that, but as I approach the anniversary of Mike's death, mm-hmm. um, I've been doing a lot of looking back over the years and lessons learned. And that's one of the biggest ones I see.
3: Mm-hmm. It's
2: not just been in these last three years I've been learning that. It's, mm-hmm. been, it's been a long time.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Maybe because I'm having a hard time learning it. (laughs)
1: Um, So what happened with Mike?
2: So the summer of 2019, um, our daughter was starting her, she was getting ready to start her senior year of college. And she was in school down in Florida and had decided to take the summer and go to school in the UK. Mm -hmm. So she was there for the summer and her her hope was to do some traveling in Europe after her time in school was done. Mm -hmm. And she wanted to do that with friends that didn't work out. So she invited her dad to come. And, um, I was going to be working at a camp in Alabama that summer, that same week that she wanted to travel. So she and Mike got to do this trip together. And, um, so the week he was gone, I was gone to camp and we both had very, very different experiences, but we came home with a very similar sort of um, realization, I guess you'd Mm say. Um, I had spent this week in a camp called Hope Heals Camp in North Alabama. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know about the organization called Hope Heals, um, please look it up. It's an amazing organization. Um, Do a beautiful family camp for people Mm -hmm. living with disability. Um, And my takeaway from that whole week of camp was a need to recalibrate Mm
3: -hmm.
2: a need to get back to the essentials in life so when mike came home and we talked about our experiences that's where we were both coming to the next day we went back to our normal jobs and our normal life um but with a completely new perspective and the same day he got a call from his boss, offering him a promotion that would move us to Georgia. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And this was not something we were expecting. It was a real surprise. But when we talked about it and prayed about it, we realized that that was part of what we were being kind of prepared for. Mm -hmm. And it was something we needed to say yes to.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And so we did. And within a month, we were moving to Georgia, about I think a five-hour drive from where My family was in Alabama, Um, and it was a process. Mike moved first, and it took me about a month to pack things up and finish my job and move. Um, But one experience that happened in the process of the moving, looking back on it, we know um, had a pretty big impact on Mm -hmm. the next months, the next year. Um, Mike was putting a new roof on our house in Alabama before we moved, he and some friends were working on it on Labor Day, on, uh, yeah. what was that, the Labor Day of 2019. Mm-hmm. And he had a fall. He fell off the roof. And he walked away that day, nothing broken, no nothing major, mm-hmm. but had a lot of pain. And the next couple of weeks um, had a lot of pain and was going to a chiropractor and dealing with it. Um, and it got better over the months. Um, but it never completely went away that pain. Um, and so fast forward then, um, to November, um, my mother who had not been real well for a long time, she had uh, chronic pulmonary disease.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, she passed away in late November of 2019, not long after Mm -hmm. our move. And, um, we, I got to be with my family and with her in those days but coming back from that, um, into, you know, the Christmas season and mm-hmm. all of that, having just moved to a new place was a challenging time, but it was also a time that really brought us mm-hmm. together as a family,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, Mike and I and Eden coming home to be with us on that Christmas was good. And,
3: mm-hmm.
2: Um, so the spring of 2020, as everyone will remember, brought mm-hmm. COVID, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> it was, uh, March of 2020, when we got the first kind of in in South Georgia, anyway, the first kind of um, inkling that something big was going on. Mm -hmm. Um, And we got a call, I think it was November, I mean uh, March 11th, -hmm. that Eden, our daughter, was her school was going to close down for a couple of weeks. They were sending everybody um, either home or at least they had to stay in their dorms and do school Mm -hmm. virtually. And she decided to come home. She, so she came for two weeks that turned into the rest of the semester. Mm-hmm. Um, and about two weeks after she came home, Mike started having some unusual symptoms that at first he thought were related to the back pain. Because from the fall, he had always had some kind of nagging pain in sort of his mid-back and even in his diaphragm area. Um, but in these weeks he started having other symptoms that just, we realized that this is, this is not just pain from your fall
3: mm-hmm. and
2: started trying to get him in to see a doctor, which proved to be very difficult at the beginning mm-hmm. of COVID doctors weren't really wanting to take on new patients. Offices weren't just open for walk-ins, you know, mm-hmm. so it took us several weeks to even get an appointment. But once we did things moved very quickly and, um, in April, he was diagnosed with a third stage esophageal cancer,
3: mm.
2: which was, um, was was a shock, um, to say the least. But his father had had the same cancer several years before, mm. and they found it early, and they had done a surgery that was very challenging and difficult and hard to recover from, but mm. was successful.
3: Mm. And
2: so we had hope. We, we thought that, uh, well, dad's been through this and we'll, you know, we'll be all right. Mm -hmm. Um, but that was, you know, mid April, uh, by June, we knew that Mike's had, um, advanced to fourth stage. Um, and the surgery wasn't even an option when it was at third stage, Mm. but, um, he started treatments, chemo Mm -hmm. and radiation and. Mm. I started a, a, the long process and journey of, of illness.
1: Wow, and it's, wow, so much in such a short span of time, from losing your mom to, well, even the move away from home and then losing your mom and grieving and being part of that. And and then with everything that then happened with Mike, I'm so sorry.
2: Yeah. Thank you, much
3: Mm
1: -hmm. it was um you know it was a
2: an unexpected thing Mm -hmm. um looking back i think as i said i think i said earlier you know coming up on the anniversary of his passing um Mm -hmm. i've spent a lot of time looking back through things i wrote during that time Mm -hmm. through uh, particularly the psalms um during those months, Mike and I read through the Psalms together um, every day we were reading. And so in the margins of my Bible, uh, there are things that I wrote during those mm-hmm. those days, um, reflections on the Psalms that we were reading. And one thing that stands out as I look at it was the incredible courage that he faced all of mm-hmm. that with. Um, From the day that he found out, his uh, his yeah courage um, at stepping into that was um, inspiring. I guess Mm -hmm. Um, his courage, his faith. the the first days that the first day we talked to the oncologist, uh, he said, "You know, doc, and I'm watching this. I'm seeing this. You know, 45 year old man who's healthy." Looks healthy, <laughs> uh, strong, fit, healthy. Being told that he has cancer,
3: mm-hmm.
2: being told, you know, what this is what we recommend for your treatment and all this, and just seeing what he's about to have to face. And he said to the doctor, "You know, I'm 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 okay either way. So I, I, I want to live. I, I want to be here. I want to, you know, be with my family. I want to do life and." He wasn't crying like I am. Um, <laughs> but I know that if I die I'm okay. Because I know I'm gonna I'm gonna be of Jesus. Mm. I'm okay with that. I'm not just okay with that. That's good. Mm. And to to hear him say that because it was true and it was what he was really
1: feeling and experiencing mm. was um, Wow. What a great <laughs> testament. To the Lord's goodness to him and faithfulness to him for him to have such a strong relationship to be able to say that. Well, instead of
2: looking back, the wonderful thing is that it's one thing to say that when you're sitting in that chair and you Mm -hmm. feel good. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you feel courage and you feel boldness and you think, I'm going to hold on to this and believe it. But it's quite another to still be able to say that when you're in pain, Mm. or you're laying in a hospital bed, as he had to do a couple of times through those months. Um, But to still be able to say that in those times, that was what was Mm
1: -hmm. really a testament. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. What was what was grief like for you in those very early days? Mm -hmm. And I guess in some sense you were probably starting the process of grieving while he was still with you. Um, yeah, I think, right? that, uh,
2: I think that that's true. And I don't think that at the time I thought of it as a grief, um, but yeah, I know that was part of the process. Mm-hmm. Early on after Mike was diagnosed, we talked about it and we wanted to be very careful if we could to be mindful of how we approached the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Because we certainly wanted healing, and we asked God for healing, and we we sought conventional treatments, and we pursued alternative things to help, um, and we prayed for healing, and we asked others to pray. But we also didn't want to be in denial.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And we wanted to welcome actually welcome death if that was what
1: what the lord was
2: the next part of his journey our journey and and that was all part of that not fearing it if we believe what we say we believe that after this life is true real life eternally with god then why should we fear this the threshold the having to die is a very hard thing Mm. Um, it's something that that we both did fear in a way
3: Mm.
2: and looking back on those moments it was really really hard Mm. but knowing and believing that it's a threshold to something that is unimaginably wonderful Mm. we just didn't want to be in a place where either of us would resent that mm. or I don't know how to put it really but it, we just didn't want to deny the possibility
3: mm.
2: and so because of that I think yes there was a lot of grieving going on in those those six months mm. but there was also a lot of celebrating and a lot of trying to be very present as I yeah. said yeah. Um, That was something that I believe that um, Mm -hmm. balance between seeking and desiring healing, Mm -hmm. but yet welcoming whatever God had, Mm -hmm. helped us to actually simply live each day what was given to us that day, Mm -hmm. be totally present with each other, Um, and honestly... It's going to be strange to say this, and I know that I can't really explain it except that it's a mystery. Mm -hmm. But there was something about those six months. Some of the most um, beautiful and unified Mm -hmm. days of our lives together. And I think it it all comes back to that being fully present. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And what a gift from the Lord.
3: Yes.
1: You said when you um, came back from your week in camp and Mike returned from his time with Eden in Europe, you both came away with the same message or felt like you needed to recalibrate. And it sounds that the Lord, sounds like the Lord gave you that time and that um, sense that this is what you needed and it set you up for what was coming unbeknownst to you. And um, from the way you're talking, the way you um, talk about being present and, um, and living each, each day in the moment, and you talked about reflecting on scripture together with Mike, and just in everything you've talked about, it felt like you, are, you held each other, you held Mike, in an open hand before the Lord, and whether He takes him or whether He lets him stay, you were okay with that. And that's hard. That's a <clears throat> really hard place to be. But how so powerful? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it's it's not a place uh, I ever stayed um, consistently. Mm-hmm. But that,
1: yeah, that was mm-hmm. definitely the. Oh, wow. Thank you for sharing that. So what does, um, I don't think we ever stop grieving. I don't think, I don't think that's a thing. So (laughs) how are you, how are you navigating that in, at the moment? Like, where are you, where are you, where are you up to in that grief journey? (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting. That's a good
2: question. Um, and I, I think in a way, that's what I've been thinking about this past, you know, um, this October, it's, it's um, three years.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so in this time, I've been kind of looking back and, and taking, taking account, I guess, um, of that journey of grief and uh, where I am. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I don't I don't know, for me, sort of, I know there are a lot of different ways people look at grief, but I feel like for me, it's been almost, and I've probably heard this somewhere else. These, this is not a new concept, but for me, it's almost been like a spiral of, Mm -hmm. of this, you know, the different stages of grief, but at a, at a different level each time. And so going through the, those, um, those different stages, Mm -hmm. um, in different levels of understanding, but also with a different, uh, different reliance on God, a different um, perspective on life uh, from a different vantage point, looking back at um, Mike's death. Mm-hmm. Um, for me now, so this year, uh, well, it's been a progression. Um, in the first months for me, I spent a lot of time um, in Psalm 23 and just kind of walking through what that that psalm is and means. And I spent a lot of hours walking, I mean literally walking, Mm -hmm. um, taking walks in private places where I could um, pray and just talk to God Mm -hmm. out loud um, and with my... Dogs looking at me like I was crazy because I'm talking to no one. But um, but um I was talking to God. And those moments, just that physical exercise, being out mm-hmm. um, in nature and feeling my feet hit the ground and breathing deep and sometimes crying and sometimes ending up laying on the ground and just letting those emotions of grief that needed to be expressed, come Mm -hmm. out, was, I stayed there for a long time.
3: Um,
2: And I remember in those days, Psalm 23, um, where it says, um, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no
3: evil. Mm
2: -hmm. I, I, I don't know, was given, I, I, saw this image in my mind. I had always heard that and thought of it as a person who is like the shadow of the possibility of their own death is, mm-hmm. is around them and they're afraid. But at this time I saw, no, 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 that shadow that's cast over me right now is Mike's death.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And a shadow happens when something is between you and the light source. Mm-hmm. And God is that light source. And there are days that I feel like he's nowhere near. But this image that I saw was like, I could it was like I was stepping outside the picture and I could see in. Here I am walking in this valley and it's Mike's death that's casting the shadow. But there is the light. God is still there. I have nothing to fear. This hurts. It's hard. I don't really want to be here. But God is still here there. it's him that's casting the shadow, and mm-hmm. I'll see the light again
3: mm-hmm.
2: and that um that knowledge, that image really like pulled me through those months in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing sort of that spoke to both Mike and I when he was sick and then to me after uh, was music um, Mike play guitar and we sang a lot in our home
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, lots of worship songs in the months that he was sick he didn't have the energy or the voice to sing much and so we listened to a lot and uh, a song we heard early on in his treatment time and we listened to daily was the song always good by Andrew Peterson as a uh, an anthem, a daily reminder to us that even though our circumstances are not good, yes. God is good.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: God is good. Yes. And Mike, when he would lead worship at our church, he always had this um, a thing that he would say that he heard somewhere and, and loved. So he would say it: um, uh, "God is good," and the congregation says back all the time. And you say, all the time, God is good. And so hearing that song, we immediately both thought of that little
1: refrain mm-hmm. that you love to say. And it's true. It is. It's true. It sure is. Yeah. I love hearing how um, your relationship with the Lord is just from the, from when you became a Christian or decided to follow him um, at the age of 17 You just can see the Lord's hand in your life, and your um, faith seems to have grown stronger and stronger by every experience that the Lord gave you. And it's wonderful to see that even in something as tragic as having to lose Mike, that you've been able to hold on to the hope and the goodness of Mm. Jesus. I think, uh, you
2: know, aside I think it's more him holding on to me. Mm-hmm. There are two things in, in what you say remind me of two other spots I was reading through in my my journals. Um, mm-hmm. One is the fact that most, most growth in my life and I look back at has happened in the dark.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely, yeah. And I, and I think that's probably just mm-hmm. a true thing naturally. Mm-hmm. Most, you know, when you think of a seed, so much of the necessary growth happens when it's under the ground think of a child yeah so much very important growth happens in the dark of the moon and i know that's been true in my own life and um and yeah one of the biggest uh, lessons or reminders through this time has been how god holds me us Mm -hmm. um isaiah let's see what is it isaiah had it open earlier today in Isaiah 41 Mm -hmm. verse 10 and verse 14 I just love and they Mm -hmm. say fear not for I'm with you be not dismayed for I am your God I will strengthen you I will help you I will uphold you with my righteous right hand and then it's actually 13 for I the Lord your God hold your right hand It is I who say to you, "Fear not; I am the one who helps you." Mm -hmm. Um, And I have written in my journal, like my um, margin of my (laughs) Bible. Yeah, Um, um, uh, April twenty third of twenty two. I wrote this, Um, Mm -hmm. and this is uh, again. I was given this image as I read those verses. So the one says, um, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So I picture God or Jesus holding around me like we would do if we were helping someone up from a fall. Mm-hmm. We Reach around them with our right hand and pull up. Yep. And so holding me that way in his arm. But then in 13, it says, I hold your right hand. Mm-hmm. Which means that he's reaching across with his left hand to hold my right hand, mm-hmm. and so the image is like being completely encircled yeah. in the arms of God. Mm-hmm. And that's how that's how I picture what you said earlier. You mm-hmm. said that you've—I think you said—you've held on to. Mm-hmm. Um, he's held on to me. Mm-hmm. And at the, elsewhere in the Psalms, uh, there again and again, I kept seeing this, um, where David says, and the Psalmist says, uh, "I cling to you."
3: Mm-hmm.
2: That there is this active part that we play
3: yeah.
2: in this holding that God is,
3: mm-hmm.
2: but that activity is nothing but just clinging. Yeah, and that's yeah. what mm-hmm. that's what these days have been,
1: mm-hmm.
2: are, are,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think this whole experience and this process has taught you about yourself? I know you've learned a lot about God. That's very evident in how you've been speaking, but what has it taught you about yourself, do you think?
2: Mm. Um, That I have deep, deep need to know that that I won't be, uh, abandoned. Mm -hmm. I think that there is definitely something in, you know, losing the person that you've, uh, you know, pledged to love till death do you part. And, you know, that love doesn't die. To feel that, I guess there's something I'm learning about my own personality in a way that, um, I have this underlying fear of that I think mm. um, and so to have that happen you know mm. this person that was so close to me in my life not there anymore um, yeah I don't know exactly how to verbalize <laughs> now what I'm trying to say but seeing that that is an underlying fear that I probably have had all my life, but and yet knowing that my Savior will never, Christ will never abandon.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: He, you know, Jesus is the outpouring of God's mercy and love and grace
3: mm-hmm.
2: into into life and into this humanity and that we live in. And, and even though I in the core of who I am have this fear of being alone I know that I'm never alone that he is always with me and I have nothing to fear so I guess in a way sort of learning that um learning that about myself is very humbling Yeah, I think humility is our only starting place with God. Mm. If we aren't starting, if I'm not starting from that place, then I have this misguided idea that my efforts are what keep me close to God. And it's just Mm. not true.
1: Yeah, It's Him. It's God. (laughs) That is so true. There's so much wisdom in those words. Yeah. You might have already um, answered this in so many ways, but um, if, if you had one message or one key learning, what would you say that is? That's
2: a good question. One. <laughs> Gosh, I think, in, uh, you know, I'm still, still learning so much. I think maybe that,
1: what I just said might be it. Um, if I was to rephrase it, maybe, if you were to go back to, um, I can't remember, was it the summer? Was it the summer when, um, you were at camp and Mike was away and you came back, um, before it all kind of kicked off in some sense with your mom and then, well, Mike and your mom, Mike's fall, um, what would you tell yourself like if you were to go back if you could prepare yourself in some way what would that what would you tell yourself
2: that's a good that's a good question good way to put it um well going back to that word that uh, was so dominant in my thoughts uh, Mm. in those days recalibrate Mm. um i think i would tell myself to to take that very seriously mm. um, and to me over time in looking at that word what i came to is that 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 really means going back to what is essential in life
3: mm.
2: what is essential in my my faith mm. is what's essential in life mm. and to recalibrate always to me now means um getting back to the heart of god Mm-hmm. coming back to his presence and actually recognizing that I'm never out of God's presence.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: He, God is always present in me, with me, in you, with you. Mm-hmm. He is, I'm the one who sometimes steps away. Hmm. And that recalibrating is that always coming back
3: mm-hmm.
2: to God. To and I suppose we could talk about concrete ways that we can do that in our daily lives. But mm-hmm. um, for me personally, that is, um, it, you know, images are very powerful for me. Um, that's just, I think, in pictures, I think. And um, for me imagining on those walks that i told you i took Mm -hmm. you know imagining that jesus is actually right there walking with me um is powerful for me Mm -hmm. knowing that at any moment or time i don't have to go to a special place to pray and i don't have to do any particular ritual to Mm -hmm. talk to god um god is always with me and for me it is in the the person of Jesus that I feel just the closest communion with him. Mm. Um, knowing, that, knowing that I need to recalibrate myself on a moment-by-moment basis mm. yeah. and remind myself. I, I was thinking of it this way the other day. You know when you're in a conversation with someone mm-hmm. and you want to, to and you're really talking and connecting, it's usually when you're looking in one another's eyes. I realize that there are times when God is drawing me near
3: mm-hmm.
2: and gazing at me.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: I'm not looking.
3: Mm-hmm. I'm looking
2: at other things. Yeah. My attention is on anything else but. But his gaze is just drawing me in.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And when I stop and actually really look full on his face, it changes everything. And I can do that in any and every moment of the day.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you, Anne. That's so powerful. I feel like listening to you, I'm able to walk away with so many golden nuggets. Like, <laughs> <laughs> recalibrate. You're so right. And even you said something at the beginning, too, about being present in the moment and, like, how often we, um, you know, pine for something that was or might be in the future instead of, like you say, being in the moment right where the Lord has placed us, in the present. It's so important. It's so important. And um, the other thing, like, you were talking about the Lord's goodness, and from that, looking at or just Looking at, yeah, thinking about how the Lord has been so good, it's hard not to be grateful for those the things that He's given us and blessed us with. And that heart of of um, thankfulness to the Lord, um, it does. It takes you to a different place. It takes you outside of your yourself and allows the lord to to minister to you. Um, and I can I can see that I can hear that in your words and um, I'm just so thankful that you that you uh, shared your story with us thank you thank you you're welcome Sada. thank you for inviting me to oh, it's 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 our pleasure to have you it really is um, and before before you go I'm really conscious of, of the time Um. Is there any way that if if one of our listeners wanted to reach out to you and maybe um, carry on the conversation with you in some sense, if they're in the same boat um, or have just gleaned a lot from what you've said and would like to talk to you more, is there a way that they could reach you?
2: Absolutely. Um,
1: I guess an email
2: would probably be okay. a, a good way. Okay. Yeah, so I...
1: I have that. I can put that in the show notes along with um, hope heals. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'll I'll add that. Yeah. Well, that's that's it from us um, today. Thank you again, and for for being here. It just yeah, it's just been a wonderful conversation to hear what you've what's on your heart. It's just the Lord has been so good. Thank you, Sadaf, and it's been so good to
2: be with you again after so many years. Really yes, absolutely.
1: So me. fun to reconnect, right? <laughs> so that's it from me and Anne, and uh, we'll see you soon in the next episode. Bye for now.
0: And just like that, we have reached the end of another fascinating conversation. Now remember to check out CrowdChurch at www.crowd.church. Even if you might not see the point of church, you see, we are a digital church on a quest to discover how Jesus can help us live a more meaningful life. We are a community, a space to explore the Christian faith, and a place where you can contribute and grow. And you are welcome at the Crowd Church. Don't forget to subscribe to the What's The Story podcast on your favourite podcast app, because we've got a treasure trove of inspiring stories coming your way, and we will basically hate them to miss any of them and just in case no one has told you yet today remember you are awesome. Yes you are. Created awesome. It's just a burden you have to bear. What's the Story is a production of Crowd Church. Our fantastic team including Anna Kettle, Salaf Bainon and me, Matt and Tanya Hutsalak work behind the scenes tirelessly to bring you all these fabulous stories our theme song here is a creative work of josh edmondson and if you're interested in the transcript or show notes head over to our website whatsthestorypodcast.com and whilst you're there sign up for our free weekly newsletter to get all of this goodness done so that's it from all of us this week here at what's the story thank you so much for joining us have a fantastic week